Good morning. I was, uh, <clears throat> I tried to uh, <clears throat> listen to Titus and guesstimate about what time I ought to start walking up here. It takes me a while to get here. And uh, I try to guesstimate during the last verse what's a good time to head out. <clears throat> and I got so caught up in that song, I forgot I was going to speak. So I was running a little bit late. We're very happy you're with us this morning. I'd like to talk uh, with you today about death. It's an odd subject, but it's fact of life, and we deal with facts of life, so I thought we'd be well advised to uh, study this one as well. There are a lot of views of death, and that's what I want to talk about, is uh, what other people think about death, what they think is going to happen to us when we die. And uh, it's amazing, really, how many diverse views there are when you get to thinking about death. So uh, let's start with this one. Death uh, is a transition to a new mode of earthly existence. Wow, what exactly does that mean? Well, that's just another way of talking about reincarnation. Reincarnation is something that most all of us have heard about, I'm sure. It's also uh, referred to, at least by the preachers, uh, the transmigration of the soul. Uh, the concept is, and uh, I, I just learned this, actually. The concept is that if, you're, if your life isn't going real good and it seems like everything is just in a mess, that you might be well advised to end your life and come back in, a, in another life. And knowing what you've learned thus far, you can avoid some of the pitfalls you made live a better life and enjoy a better existence. And it's a, it's a reason, especially among young people, it's a, one of the reasons so many young people commit suicide. They believe their lives are in such a mess that they just want to erase it, so to speak, and start over with a new life. Uh, I didn't think anybody really believed it all that much. But I looked it up in the government st statistics in a very broad estimation, uh, they estimated that about at least 60% of Americans believe in some form of re reincarnation. And that just blew my mind. I had no idea it was uh, so prevalent in our society, but apparently it is. Uh, you die and you come back again as uh, someone else. And uh, of course you're a better person and then you die and you come back as someone else and you're a better person. I think I was Alexander the Great at one time. And through the years, I've, that's, not, that's not progression, is it? <laughs> that would be digression, I think. Uh, but uh, this is the concept of it. The Bible says uh, very simply, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Uh, one life, one death, and that's all she wrote. Or you could say one life, one death, and then judgment, which includes uh, our eternal destination. Second Corinthians 5 and 10, Paul the Apostle said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He didn't say bodies. He said body, one body. When I die, I'll be judged by what I did in this body, whether good or bad. Uh, that's what the Lord's going to judge me by in the day of judgment. 
a lot of people believe in reincarnation. <clears throat> I do not. <clears throat> I believe the Bible. I believe what God said. One death uh, and then the judgment. Another view is death is the termination of human existence. Uh, when you die, you're dead as a dog, some will say. That's what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses say. When you die, you're dead as a dog. Uh, death ends our earthly existence, but not our personal existence. One of the things that people uh, sometimes forget is that we are not just animal. We're not just flesh and blood. Uh, we are also a spirit. Uh, we're both uh, spirit and body. And as such... Uh, the body, it does return to the dust, but not the spirit. The spirit never dies. God created you. He formed you in the body you occupy. And once he created you, at that moment, you came into existence. And having been created by God, you'll never stop existing. You'll always exist. And you'll also, you'll always maintain a state of consciousness. There'll be, never be a time when you're not aware of your surroundings, the best that I understand the Bible. You'll always uh, be conscious, whether good or bad, but you'll always maintain consciousness. So the concept that death is the termination of human existence, though popular in some religious circles, and these are, of course, religious points of view that I'm talking about, Though it is popular among some, uh, I do not believe it's true because it uh, contradicts what the scriptures say. In James chapter 2 and verse 26, James said the body apart from the spirit is dead. You got to look carefully at what James is saying. Notice he says the body. Well, what about the body, James? Apart from the spirit or separated from the spirit, the body is dead. You'll notice that James didn't say the spirit is dead. He said, the body is dead. The spirit's what's important. If you get a glass of lemonade, and the glass is important, but the lemonade is more important. You know, we, we don't pour out the lemonade and eat the glass. We'll drink the lemonade and get rid of the glass. And that's the way uh, you and I are. What is personhood is spirit. And James is saying, when you're finished with your body, your body is discarded, but the spirit is not. It's not dead. Death is separation. It's not extinction. And I think that's the best way to understand death, separation. Separation of body and spirit. Look at it this way with a little image of sorts. Uh, the body and spirit, according to the scriptures, the body and spirit joined together constitutes life. When does life begin? When the spirit enters the body. Okay? When does life end? When the spirit leaves the body. Or as James said, when the spirit is apart from the body. The body having nothing to animate it any longer is said to be dead. Do you ever notice that when you go to the funeral home and you're looking at your daddy laying there in the casket? That it looks exactly like him. Nothing changed from the day he passed. The same person, got the same number of hairs, looks identical to what you're accustomed to. 
but you speak and he, he don't answer. You touch and he won't respond. That, that seems so weird to me that my daddy will not respond to me because he never did that during life. But suddenly I, 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 can, I can try to communicate with this man that I spent all my years with and I get nothing in return. Well, that's because he's not there. The body that he occupied is there, but daddy's gone. He's gone to be somewhere else. And that's what James is trying to teach us. The body, apart from the spirit, is dead. When the spirit exits the body, the body is said to be dead. The spirit, however, maintains its consciousness. Okay? So keeping that in mind, let's move on one more step. Death ends our early earthly existence, but not our personal existence. Remember Jesus and the thief on the cross. Jesus told the thief as they hung on the cross, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, what exactly did he mean by that? It's, it seems like a strange thing to say. Both of them are hanging on the cross. Both of them are going to die. They're not coming down from the cross alive, and they know it. And Jesus said, today, this day, Friday, before the sun sets, now listen to me, thief. Today, you and I will be in paradise. What does he mean by that? Well, we know what he meant. The spirit exited the body, and the thief and Jesus were soon together in paradise. All happened rather quickly. From the cross to paradise. What a journey. That's something to keep in mind as we're passing. The best is yet to come. Well, Solomon spoke on this matter as well. He said when a person dies, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now Solomon said that about 800 years before Christ died. What happens when a person dies, Solomon? The spirit returns to God. God gave the spirit and he wants the spirit back. It's his. God created you and you go back to God when you're done with your business in this world. You go back to be with him. Well, what about the body? He said, well, the dust, the body, it returns to the earth as it was. And, of course, in the earth we know that the body decays, except... In Jesus' case, the body was only in there from Friday to Sunday. And on Sunday, the body came back up. It was raised back to life. And Jesus, who was in paradise, left paradise, and he re-entered the body. And that's what we know as resurrection. The body came up from the grave, and we leave the Hadean world and we re-enter our brand spanking new body that God created for us. And we live forever. Death is a state of non-conscious existence, some say. It's referred to as soul sleeping. You may hear preachers on TV talk about soul sleeping. The idea is that when you die, uh, you don't know anything. It's, uh, it's all she wrote. 
And there's a number of passages people will turn to to prove their, their point. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 is one. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, sleeping in the dust of the earth, what part of us sleeps in the dust of the earth? We know, well, it's the body. You put the body back in the earth and the body turns to dust. But Daniel said nothing about the spirit. The body sleeps in the dust, but you won't. Not you. God created you, and you're very valuable. You're very important. You're more important than you'll ever, ever, ever understand. You were so important that God let his son die so that you could live. And he will not discard you. He created you to be immortal, and immortal you are. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, 9 and 10, John had the opportunity to peer into heaven. The Lord was unloosing seals that revealed things to come. And John saw this when the Lord opened the fifth seal. He said, I saw under the altar in heaven, I saw under the altar the souls, the spirits of those who had been slain. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They were Christians. They were Christians who refused to deny Christ. And because they refused to deny Christ, they were murdered. Their bodies returned to the dust. But where were they? Where was the spirit? The spirit was found in heaven with God. They were under the altar. And more than that, they cried out and they spoke to the Lord. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Oh, how far from unconsciousness is this? They were conscious. They could speak. And they knew that the people who murdered them had not been punished for their crimes. You're not unconscious when you die. You just live in another realm, another sphere. It's like moving to Florida. I can't see you anymore, but you're not dead. You're just living somewhere else. And that's what happens when a person dies. The body returns to the earth as it was. Soul sleeping, but not the spirit. That immortal spirit lives on forever. Family relationships continue in death, according to some. The Mormons subscribe to a doctrine of what they call celestial marriage. Uh, Well, let me let Russell Smith rather say it. Marriage is not for time only. It is for eternity as well. For those who reach the highest degree of exaltation. Now this is according to Joseph Smith and his doctrines and covenants. What's he saying? The person that we're married to in this world will still be married to in the world to come. Together forever. Randy Travis sang a song, I'm going to love you forever and ever, amen. Well, I suppose love can continue on. But our familial relationship, it can't. We might like it to, we might want it to, but it's not going to be that way. 
In this world, you and I are procreative. In the world to come, there is no such thing. Angels were around people all the time. And they were never tempted by lust for a person. They had no such desires, no such inclinations. They were spirits of God. And even though some of the angels were wicked, none of the angels lusted after the things that we lust for. It's going to be different. I don't know how exactly. I wish I did, but I don't. But I can't tell you what I do know. Speaking to the Sadducees, they, they put a proposition before the Lord. Jesus taught resurrection. So their question was, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection. Their question was, suppose there was uh, seven brothers, and the oldest brother took him a wife, and he died. Well, according to the law, the next brother down would have to take his brother's wife to be his wife. And he would, because that was the law. And then the second brother, he died too. And then the wife went down to the third oldest brother. And they did that way through all seven boys. Their question was, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? She was married to all seven. Is she going to have seven husbands in the world to come? They were trying to prove that the resurrection was a false doctrine. The Lord responded to them saying, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You are mistaken because you haven't read what God has said about this matter. In the resurrection, they do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. Those customs we have, no more. They won't exist in the next world. <clears throat> but people are like the angels of God in heaven. We'll be like the angels. We don't have a flesh and blood body anymore. What's, what's our spiritual body going to be like? I, I don't know. I really don't know. But uh, it's not going to be like anything we got now. The, the teaching of celestial marriage is, is not true. There's no recognition after death. Oh, gee. You know, if that's true, how could heaven be called heaven, huh? If we're not going to recognize anybody in heaven, how could heaven be heaven? Do you ever been somewhere where you didn't know anyone? Boy, I have. I don't like it. I feel like a big old lump of flesh sitting in the middle of a bunch of people and I'm uncomfortable. How can heaven be heaven if I don't know anybody? Well, just because it makes you uncomfortable, that doesn't mean it's not true. That's right, it doesn't. But what the Bible teaches does mean that we will know one another when we get to heaven. Genesis 25, verse 8, one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. I love it, I love it, I love it. Abraham breathed his last. He died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. This is said about several people in the Old Testament, and I love this so much. 
uh, at first I thought that means he was he was buried in the family cemetery. All my people's buried up here in Byer Cemetery. And in my mind, I was thinking, gather to your people. You, me, I'd be gathered to Byer Cemetery. Uh, that's what I first thought when I first read it. But then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, that can't be right. Uh, Abraham's folks, his daddy, uh, he was he was buried about 300 miles north of where Abraham was. And the rest of his people, uh, they were over in the area of the Chaldeans. Abraham, he was buried in the land of uh, uh, Canaan. How could this be what the scriptures are talking about? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't talking about his body at all. It wasn't talking about a family cemetery. It was talking about the man Abraham. Abraham was gathered to his people. Many of his people, just like it is now, many of his people went on to be with the Lord. Many of his people did not. Abraham was gathered unto those who had gone to be with the Lord. He would now spend his life once again. I think it was George Jones that said, together again. And I love this passage so much. I just thrill at the prospect of seeing all the people I've known during my life when I get to be with them once again. The best is definitely yes to come. The folks I've got now, the folks that went on before me, we can all be together with God in the world yet to come. And it just thrills my soul. In Genesis 37, verse 35, Jacob and all his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him. His boy Joseph, he was told, was dead. He had been mauled by a vicious animal, and he was now dead. All he had left was a coat of many colors that he had made for him. And he's taking it hard. He's taking it really hard. His sons and his daughters, they all gather in, trying to make him comfortable, trying to help him. But he refused to be comforted, and then he said, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Abraham, or Jacob rather, he, he was separated from his boy, and it, it just broke the man. And all he had to look forward to with regard to Joseph was the day that he would go to be with him again, and then he would find his peace. Second Samuel 12, verse 23, David's baby had died. He prayed and prayed that God would spare this child. He was sick, and he prayed that God would spare this child, but God did not spare the child. Abraham found, or rather, David found out that the boy died. His, his men came and told him, he was fasting and praying. His men came and told him, the boy has died. And they thought, sure, David would lose his mind because he was taking it so hard. It was breaking this man. And they thought it would sure flip him over the edge. And he, he got up, he quit fasting, he cleaned himself up, and he went into the table and he sat down and they brought him food and he began to eat. They were so confused. What in the world is going on? When the child was alive, you fasted, you mourned, you prayed, and now that the child is dead, you're, you're, 
just going on, business as usual. And David responded, well, he's dead. He's dead. My boy's gone. Why should I continue to fast? Can I bring him back again? Well, everybody knew that answer was a big no, just like you and I do. No matter how much we plead and, 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 and cry and beg, we can't bring him back again. That's beyond the scope of our ability and it's something the Lord chooses not to do. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David had something to look forward to. He would see his boy again in the future. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What's the significance of sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if you don't know who they are? Well, I haven't seen Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before. Doesn't make any difference. When you get to heaven, you're going to know who they are. You're going to see them, and you're going to know them. How does that work? I don't know, but I know it does. Why would we rejoice if we're going to see someone we don't even know? No recognition after death. There's many, many, many more passages we can look at, but time is getting away. Death is considered a time of probation and preparation. When you die, uh, there's more to come in the arena of salvation. That's what some believe. This is the place where souls are supposedly purged of sin before they enter heaven. A person dies and they go elsewhere. And in this other place, those who were not prepared to meet God, they can get prepared. It's a second chance. You get a second chance. And uh, Roman Catholicism, is uh, they make a big deal out of this one. They call it uh, the place purgatory. When a person dies, they go to purgatory. And in purgatory, usually their loved ones will do good deeds. And the one in purgatory, they get credit for it. Sometimes uh, it's done by cash deposits on behalf of the person who's in purgatory. And through your labor and your gifts, uh, you can reach a point where this person, depending on how many sins they have, they can get out of purgatory and go on to heaven. Purgatory is a place to hold over for what's yet to come. A lot of people believe it. A lot of people. Mormons advocate what they call baptism for the dead. They, they find uh, people, the graves of people uh, who have died, and they baptize one of their own for the purpose of applying that baptism to this dead person. Because the dead person was not a Mormon, they're certain to go to hell. Therefore, they baptize for them so that they can go on and be with God in heaven. Charles T. Russell, he's the founder of Jehovah's Witness organization. He argued that salvation is not confined to the present life. You could obtain salvation in the next world, too. Uh, 
through the baptism for the dead. That's one of the reasons why the Mormons are so famous for baptizing uh, for the dead is because uh, they're trying to get many, many more people into heaven. The Bible teaches about this uh, intermediate place. Again, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. One death, one judgment. There's nothing in between. Death and judgment, nothing in between. There's life and there's death, nothing in between. Life, death, judgment, nothing in between. There is no state of preparation in the next world. And some people apparently rely on the, the belief that there will be. So they're not too worried about what's happening right now because they know they'll get a second chance. In uh, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13, um, there were uh, 10 virgins. Uh, five are considered wise, five foolish. The difference between the two is their job was to light up a pathway. The bridegroom, they would over here, they would have a, a marriage, a, a wedding. And then over at this place, they would have a celebration. So you get married at this place, and you go to this place to have a party. Well, nobody knows really what time the marriage ceremony is going to be over. It depends, I guess, a lot on how windy the preacher is. If he yammers and yammers and yammers, it's maybe several hours before the bridegroom finally comes. So the, the wise virgins, uh, they guesstimated uh, a certain amount of oil in their lamps. Uh, and they, 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 they knew that the oil burns uh, so fast an hour, and they knew about what time of the night uh, all their oil would be gone. And they thought, hmm, what if the bridegroom delays his coming? What if he doesn't come? So they took another can of oil with them. The foolish virgins, on the other hand, they did not. They only took what they had in their lamp. Well, what happened was, as they were sitting there waiting for the bridegroom to show up, they all fell asleep. And when the bridegroom came, they all jumped up. They trimmed their lamps in order to light the way for the bridegroom. The problem was, while the wise still had oil left to light the pathway for the bridegroom, the foolish did not. One of the points that can be gleaned from the parable is that all ten virgins got up exactly like they went down. Think of their falling asleep as death. They arose as the resurrection. My point is really simple. When they were raised from their sleep, they were in the very same condition they were when they went to sleep in the first place. And so it will be in the judgment. As we are in this world is what we shall be when we're raised to meet our maker. and to receive his estimation of our behavior. In the rich man and Lazarus, we're told that between the redeemed and those who were lost for an eternity, we're told that there was a great gulf 
fixed between the two places. Once you die, you go to the place here of torment or you go to the place called, Jesus called paradise. And in between there's a great gulf and no one can cross it. You can't go from paradise to the place of torment. You can't go from the place of torment to the place of paradise. As you die, so you will be in the resurrection. Nothing will change. There's no salvation after death. We either find the way of redemption now or we won't be able to find it at all. Why is this important? Too many people believe there's a second chance coming and there is no second chance. This isn't my rule. I have no rules. I'm just trying to figure out the rules. But this is the rule of God, the way it's going to be in the last day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul said, Now, right now, is the accepted time. Now, right now, is a day of salvation. It's not coming in the future. It's today. And if not today, maybe never. That sounds so permanent, doesn't it? Oh my, it sounds so permanent. Every time we get done with a worship service, I always have uh, a lot of baggage I carry home with me. Uh, I have a fear that among those who are not children of God, they may not be here next week when we gather again and the opportunity is offered for life. They may die in a state of unpreparedness and it, it gives me a lot of grief, it really does. I think on this all week long, it troubles me something fierce. But there's, a, there's something else that troubles me very, very much. And that is, I don't know when, but, but you and I are capable of hardening our hearts. Uh, by that, the Lord taught us that uh, we can be touched by certain things. Sometimes a, a little child can raise their hand and ask us for something and then say, please. And, you know, uh, you know, they're not supposed to have that cookie, but how do you say no when they say please? Especially grandparents know because it's super hard. But uh, we have the capacity that something that touched us may never touch us again that urge to respond to the Lord's invitation can be very powerful. I've watched people hold onto the bench in front of them and I could see the white knuckles where they squeezed that bench so hard. They wanted to respond to the invitation, but I guess the cost was too high. On that day, at that time, they just weren't ready to pay the price. They weren't ready to give up a habit or whatever the case may be. So even though the heart wanted to give itself to the Lord, the person chose not to do it. And what I know from what our Lord teaches us about the hardness of the heart, there can come a time in our life, I don't know where it is, no one does, that that which once touched us, 
may never touch us again. And that terrifies me. There will always be a day when I can obey the gospel. There will always come a time. I can't do it this year. I've got to pay off some bills. But next year, next year, I'll be able to. Well, you may be here next year. That may be good. But you may never have the heart again that wants to be a child of God. You might do it. You might be baptized. You might go to church. But that, that pull in the heart that was there once before, it's not there anymore. It's gone. The heart can become so hard that we can never be touched again. It's a dangerous thing to say no. And I worry about that all the time. What can I say? How can I say it? What can I do? I wish I knew. There's more. I'm not going to go into them, though. People have a lot of thoughts about death. Simply, we live, we die, we go to judgment. That's all it is. That's all it is. And if we're not prepared to be judged by the Lord when we go to judgment, he will not accept us. I don't care which one of us I'm talking about, me or you or whoever. If we're not ready to meet the Lord, he will not have us because he's not going to let us bring our bad attitude into heaven. When the Lord touches you, don't say no. Just listen to him. Come to him.